Thanks, Mark. Okay, Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. Visit required three days. On the third day, sorry, the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw that they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. God bless his word. Well, for the last few weeks, we've been uh, looking at the book of Jonah, this unique and plot-twisting story that, folks, is simply full of surprises. Now, just so we're all on the same uh, page, let's do a a quick uh, review. Take us right back to chapter 1, verse 1, where God calls to Jonah, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And then Jonah does what a lot of people do when God calls on them. them. He resists. He runs. Instead of going where God called him to go, he goes in the opposite direction. And in the first chapter of Jonah, the theme is kind of down. We see Jonah on this downward trajectory. One of the surprising things in in Jonah's life is when things are, are looking down, we find that God is up to something great. And so God caused a great storm and so the sailors, they, they pray to their own gods, each, their, each of their own gods, to no avail. And the storm just gets more massive. And so they began to throw their precious cargo overboard. And that doesn't work. And so they finally go to Jonah, and they find out that Jonah is, is running from God. He says, you're, you're throwing the wrong stuff. Throw me overboard. I've been disobedient, and, and uh, if they want to s- save their lives, they got to do that. Finally, the sailors fearfully oblige. The storm stills, and the sailors believe in God. The first big surprise in the story. Where's Jonah? Jonah's now sinking down into the sea. And as we talked about, God provides, God appoints a great fish to come and swallow Jonah. And then for three days and three nights, Jonah has this really honest prayer time with God because he's got nothing else to do. And there in the darkness, God hears him. 
and God loves him, and God refuses to let him go, so God causes the fish to spew Jonah out onto dry land, and Jonah is rescued from his sin. He's rescued from death. Uh, now, now, God had been up to some great things in Jonah's life, and so it's not, I don't think it's that difficult to imagine what now is going on in Jonah's mind. I'm alive, right? I'm covered with fish vomit, but I'm alive. God heard my prayer. He saved me. You know, maybe I should do something about this. Maybe I should, should write this down. I should write my spiritual memoirs. I could call it uh, Tuesdays with Jonah or something like that. Why stop there? I could, I could build a church right here uh, on this spot, uh, this, this beautiful spot. It's, it's on the water, beautiful view, lots of parking. Um, could call it the Church of Wales, as if that wouldn't be confusing. <laughs> Something like that. Uh, we could, we could uh, ba- do baptisms by throwing people off boats. <laughs> and uh, we could have pagan t- sailors give their testimony. All these kind of things. It's not hard to imagine that that Jonah wanted to kind of get on with his new life. He wants to move on to bigger and better things. And that's where we pick up the story this morning from Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, where it says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now, does that sound just a little bit familiar? Or let me ask it this way. Does it sound like God has moved on to bigger and better things? Not really. Um, Let me ask you, have you ever gotten into a a real heated argument with someone that you love? That person may be sitting right next to you right now, so clearly you do not want to raise your hand. Um, But you get into a a life or, or death argument about, you know, someone who forgot to take out the trash, right? And, and maybe you did forget, but you don't want to admit that you forgot, so you try to distract them with other things. Uh, speaking of takeout, are you hungry? Let's do dinner. You know, all in the hopes that they'll forget about it and move on. Um, this is a classic uh, conflict resolution technique. I actually don't think it's much of a resolution technique. It's more of a conflict avoidance technique. It's one I've used in my marriage for many, many years to no avail. Well, in this case, God hasn't moved on. God's not about to forget about it. God calls Jonah a second time, and Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. Now, last week, we talked about some of the patterns of language that we find in the book of Jonah, God, that, that God is always up to something great, and that Jonah seems to be always on his way, way down. And here we discover that Nineveh is a place where God's people go. And folks, go is is one of the most fundamental truths or verbs, I should say, in the Christian faith. And in fact, the word go is found 1,514 times in Scripture. Now, here's the the thing. All too often, I I think we actually focus on another verb, stop. (laughs) I've spent much of my life, life thinking that God's basic call on my life was to stop doing this, to stop doing that, to just stop, 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 stop. I I hear this all the time when people talk about coming to faith, how, yes, they came to Jesus, they said yes to Jesus, but it involved all kinds of saying no to all kinds of other things. And they list off these these, these sins that they've tried to put off. 
Now, now don't get me wrong, it is a really, really, really good thing to put off sins and, and harmful behaviors and, and, and those things that aren't pleasing to God. But the heart of Christian discipleship is not the word stop. At the, at the very heart of Christian discipleship is the word go. When God calls Abraham, he says, I want you to leave behind your city, your family, your stuff, and I want you to go. Go to the land that I'm calling you to. When God, God calls Moses, I want you to stop being a shepherd in Midian, and he says, go to Egypt, go back to Egypt. After his resurrection, Jesus said to his friends, he said to his followers, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Go. The heart of Christian discipleship is the word go. At the heart of Christianity, there's this movement, there's this outward focus, a going that we can easily forget as we kind of get consumed with the running of our own lives, the demands of just life today. But God, here's the thing, he does not forget, and he doesn't forget why he called and saved Jonah to go. Now, where is uh, Jonah called to go? To Nineveh, right? Which, which was not a good place to be going. Nineveh is like Sin City, uh, kind of like Las Vegas. It's, it's actually like Sin City times a thousand. It makes a, a red, list, red light district look like Disneyland. Uh, you know, it makes, uh, you know, the axis of evil look like the Salvation Army or something like that. It's simply too far gone and too messed up for a good and holy God to have anything to do with it at all. You see, Nineveh is not just the place you don't want to go. It's also the place that seems like it's out of God's reach, that beyond God. It's the, the friend or family member that you've prayed for for a long time, but, but they never seem to change. It's the colleague or, or the peer who, who laughs at your faith or laughs at your life. <laughs> it's the person you try to love, but they respond to you like a jerk. It's, it's a situation that never gets any better. It never seems to have any hope. And God says, that's where we're going. <laughs> we're going there. And when you get there, God says, I have a new message for you. If you remember back to the first time that God called Jonah, uh, he told him to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. And, and Nineveh, folks, we, we know this historically, was truly a horrible place. This is the empire who had ravaged the northern tribes of Israel and, and left their dead piled up alongside the road crazy. Uh, if any city in the world deserved a, a let them have it from a holy God, Nineveh was it. It'd be Nineveh. But now God says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I'm going to give you. Now, now I don't think that uh, God in any way here is getting soft on sin, but God is, is telling Jonah, I still want you to go to Nineveh, but, but when you get there, I want you to stop and I want you to listen closely to me because I've got a message. And it's a message you might not expect. It's a message that might surprise you. <laughs> One for the people of Nineveh that, that you wouldn't come up with on your own. Because God is up to something great. And so Jonah goes. Verse 3 says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. I think we should just all stand up and give Jonah a round of applause. 
Because actually in the whole little book, this is the only time he gets things right. This is the only time. Most of his story gets mixed up in his disobedience, his running, and his hiding. But here, after kind of all the ups and downs, Jonah finally obeys. Now, I want to kind of pause here and reflect for a moment because I know that most of us get stuff wrong all the time, right? That's just our life. Um, Like Paul says, we do the things we don't want to do and we don't do the things that God wants us to do. It can be almost crazy making how we disappoint ourselves, right? Um, My friend was, I I went out with an unchurched friend this week and we had dinner and uh, he says, yeah, I hate this about people. They're hypocrites. And I recited to him my my often, you know, quoted joke that uh, the church is full of hypocrites, but the, no, no, pardon me, the church is not full of hypocrites. There's always room for one more, right, right? He seemed to think it was funny, which was the point. Um, amidst the, uh, you know, amidst, it, it's funny though, amidst all the struggles, amidst uh, the, the difficulties in our lives, our, our own disobedience, there are moments, there are moments when you get things right. There are moments when you might gossip about about a a friend or a colleague, and you don't. There's moments where you might react uh, in anger, uh, and yet you hold back. There are moments when you might act lustfully or impulsively, and you resist. And in those moments when we obey, even if it seems small, even if it's just one verse in the whole book, it pleases God. I was talking uh, recently with somebody who has been struggling with looking at pornography and, and all the, the guilt and, and all the shame that goes with that. But in the midst of all those struggles, there are, are moments in this guy's life where he gets it right, you know, where he, he seeks out accountability, where he asks someone for, for help, where he actually resists temptation. And, and even though there are be, maybe moments of failure in the future, God is pleased when he obeys and he needs to know that. I've told some of you before, I, I have a friend who I meet regularly with to talk about my own struggles with my life. And, and this friend knows me well, knows that I am far from perfect because I talk about my life with him. And sometimes I'll just come and I'll, I'll pour out all the things. I, I come with almost a list of the things that I'm doing wrong in my life, the things that kind of burden me, the things I, that disappoint where I feel disappointed, as I said, in myself. And uh, it's funny, he's such a gracious guy, he's a God guy, and he'll often just subtly shift the conversation, and he'll shift it to, to asking and looking for what's going right in my life. Not for where Derwin is failing, but for where Derwin's getting it right, <laughs> where, where God's up to some good things and, and when I share those things with him, he, he just reminds me with a word that God is pleased with me in those moments. Isn't that cool? I mean, I, I need to hear that. Of course, uh, our, our conversations over time have grown to the place where I spend far less time talking about my failures, and we spend far more time about what God is up to in our lives. It's such a, such a gift, and I, I come away from that actually wanting to obey more, wanting to be drawn toward the good. We also need to know our obedience matters. I mean, it really does. If, if Jonah doesn't obey, 
then this great thing that God has planned for Nineveh doesn't happen. But let's also remember at the very same time, let's remember God's relentless grace towards each and every one of us. It's available for you today. So Jonah obeyed and he, and he went to Nineveh. But you got to know this too, just because we obey doesn't mean that God's going to make it easy, that he's going to make it any less daunting. Um, the, the situation is, is difficult. As soon as Jonah arrives in the city, we read, now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and the city and Nineveh will be overthrown. Picture Jonah is walking into the gates of this massive city. Um, He's a third of the way into the town and he stops. He's probably already frustrated. He's probably already overwhelmed with the things he's seen. This people's brokenness, this people's mistreatment of others, their sin. he's, He's looking at this evil and he can't stand it. And he stops and he gives what may be the shortest sermon in all of human history. It's, it's just eight words long. In fact, in the original Hebrew, it's just six words. A six-word sermon, and I know you're thinking, if only we could be so lucky. <laughs> Jonah's message is in, incredibly vague. It lacks all the characteristics of uh, Old Testament prophecy. There's, there's no word from the Lord. There's no naming of sins. There's no appeal for the victims uh, of injustice. And most importantly, there's not even any mention of, of God at all. What happened to go and proclaim the message I give you? What's going on there? Well, we don't know. This could be the message that God gave him. I, I kind of think Jonah was holding back. A lot, of, a lot of scholars, a number of them think that even though Jonah obeys, he still can't see any possible good coming from him speaking to this people to this situation. For, for him, Nineveh falls in this, what you might call, a no way list. Like no way. You ever say that phrase, no way? No way. Somebody does something crazy, unbelievable, you say, no way. I used to say that all the time until my friend used to respond with, yes way. And that got annoying. So now I don't say no way anymore. Very sad. Been stolen from my vocabulary. But you know, when it comes to, to what we think God can do, I think most of us have kind of our own, maybe even carefully crafted, no way list. No way. Jonah's would go something like this, I'm not the right guy. I actually hate Ninevites, right? Um, The message that God's given me is too short. Uh, The the city is too large. The culture's too foreign. The, The people are too wicked. They're too far gone. The time frame is too short. He has all these reasons why there is no way that he can make any difference in Nineveh. I I think our no way lists, probably when it comes to God's mission in the world, aren't that different. God gives us a call, but it seems like a no way kind of call. By the way, that's probably a way you know that it's God's call. (laughs) Because God seems to call us to not like easy, slim, low, you know, the low-hanging fruit, the things that are easy to do. He often calls us to things that are beyond us. I, I just don't get this culture. Or I can't relate. I don't have my life together yet. How can I ever be God's messenger? How could I ever show God's love to anybody? I, I haven't figured it out yet. I don't know what to say. People aren't open to me. Uh, and, 
and really, on a lot of our lists, people don't change anyway, right? That's, the situation is impossible. I have an older brother. Uh, he's 11 years older than I am, and so I didn't know him a lot when I was young. He moved, he moved out when I was like, you know, eight, something like that. He, it was very, I was very, very young. Um, but he walked away from faith, like something like 40 years ago. And I really wasn't around to, to, to figure that out at the time. I, I had my own struggles with faith when I was growing up. But when I kind of became a sold-out follower of Jesus when I was 17 years old, where God kind of met me in a powerful way, um, one of the things that God did in me was he gave me a burden for my brother. I, I, I had this sense that um, somehow... I had an assignment from God that I was to pray for my brother and care for my brother and show him God's love. And I did that for years and years and years. In fact, I actually uh, remember, remember writing my brother a letter telling him about my Christian faith and why I believed. Um, I love my brother in, in many senses because he's older like that. He's be, been like a father figure to me. And, I, and I, I, I can see so much good in him, but I've always been able to see how his life would be better if he had Jesus as his hope and his life. And so I prayed and I prayed. And you know what? I prayed for my brother now for more than 30, 33 years. And from my eyes, nothing's changed. It's rather frustrating, isn't it? Anyone prayed for a long time for someone? I, you know, there's been no breakthrough moment that I can see. There's been no conversion moment. There's been no kind of surprise outcomes. And it can be really tempting for me to want to quit, to give up, to say, forget about it. You know, forget about reaching him. Forget about Nineveh. Forget about obedience. This just doesn't work. No way. And maybe you have a story like that, a, a person or a situation like that, something that, that makes you stop expecting. It makes you stop believing or hoping or praying. But you see, when, whenever we think that things are heading down, what is God up to? Something great. He's always up to something great. So what was God up to in, in Nineveh? After uh, Jonah's one-day march and uh, six-word sermon, the text says simply this, the Ninevites believed God. Yeah, just like that. The people farthest from God, the, the people least likely to believe in, in God, come to believe in God. And not just some of the people. We're told it's all the people, from the, the greatest to the least. Even though the, Jonah's only a third of the way through town, word spreads. And they didn't just believe in God. We, we read, they declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, I'm not sure that we have a modern equivalent of sackcloth I think of uh, the itchy sweater that I brought back from Scotland as being the closest thing that I've ever worn to sackcloth. It's probably like that at times 10. But sackcloth was an abrasive uh, covering made of goat hair that was worn in public as a visible sign of your repentance. You're turning away from your sin. Can you imagine if this ever took place in Canada? I mean... Think, think Dragon's Den, the, the, the team on the, the business tycoons on the Dragon's Den, if they put on sackcloth and fasted. Can you imagine that? Or, uh, or Conrad Black, <laughs> or Oprah Winfrey, or Drake, 
or, or Jeff Glezos or Bill Gates, any of these people, can you imagine? It, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that a respectable or powerful person ever would do. In Nineveh, we, we know from the least to the greatest, they're all publicly fasting and, and putting on sackcloth. It's a, it's a very public, it's a very humiliating demonstration. Even the king, verse, verse six reads, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the king of Nineveh. This, this is the guy of whom the prophet Nahum spoke. Nothing can heal you. Your wound is fatal. All who hear the news about you clap your hands at your fall. Clap their hands at your fall. And yet this, this brutal, brutal dictator, we can all picture one in our brains, can't we? Gets off his throne, takes off his royal robes, and he falls to his knees before the mercy of God. It's pretty wild. But God's just getting started. God, God didn't just reach the people, the, the nobles, the king. God reached the very laws of the land. Listen to this. Then the king issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let the people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Have you ever heard a law that ended with a question? <laughs> it does here. The speed limit is now 80 kilometers. Who knows if people will actually follow it, right? In that day, a king's proclamation was like a word from a deity. It was a, it was a certainty. There was no question ever attached to it. No need for questions. But here, the proclamation concludes with an open question as if, as if to say, even the laws of the, lands, of the land are now dependent on God's mercy. And if you're not smiling about this yet, know that God didn't just reach all the people, the king and the laws. God even reached the animals. Let the animals be covered with sackcloth. Imagine being a cow in those days, and, uh, you know, somebody comes up and covers you in, in goat hair, right? Every once in a while, we see somebody cover their pets in something, right? We, you know? Uh, and they think it looks really cute. I'm not going to tell you what I think. But the people of Nineveh, they were so passionate about God. They were so passionate about turning their lives over to him. They made even the animals repent, right? I'm not making this up. It's all part of the story, a story that's filled with all kinds of surprises. The best surprise is yet to come. Look what God does in Nineveh. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion on them, and he did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Do you see it? Do you get it now? The, the book of Jonah is not some great tragedy that ends with no way not possible. It's, it's, a, it's a great comedy where joy and laughter and, and new life, they, they win the day. <laughs> when God delivered Jonah from the depths of the sea, the, the joke was actually on sin and, and death. And here, when God delivered Nineveh from the depths of their sin, the joke is on Jonah. The joke is on those of us who stop believing that, that God can reach the unreachable. 
You know, the, the joke is on us who, who trade in a God for whom all things are possible for a God of measurable and sensible outcomes when our God is always a God of relentless and immeasurable grace, a God of unexpected mercy and impossible outcomes. God doesn't look at Nineveh and say, no way, not possible. (laughs) He says, I'm the Lord who rescues people from their sins. I'm gonna do something in your day that you would not believe if you were told. I've got a pastor friend uh, who uh, has been praying for a family member like me for 30 years. And uh, he told me just recently, shared about how uh, this was his dad. His dad was obstinately against the Christian faith and thought that his son's following of Jesus was just the most ridiculous thing. And when when his son said to his father that I'm going to be a pastor, it was like there was grieving and mourning, like weeping and gnashing in that household. It was was the, the worst news that he could have brought home. Um, this last January, his father passed away. But, but he tells me that days before his dad passed away, that his dad said to him, you know what? After all of these years of watching your life, I can see that Jesus is real. And I want to put my trust in him. And uh, his, his father <laughs> made a commitment I think it was like four or five days before he died. And, and my friend tells me how that palliative care room turned from a place of great sadness and heaviness to a place of great laughter and joy. And he says, I laugh now when I think of it still. I, I think of my friend, I was talking to him yesterday and, and he's just transitioned out of a job in a senior executive role. He's been working there for 16 years and he's tried to do it faithfully as a Jesus guy. He's tried to share his faith. He's tried where appropriately to tell people about his faith. And, and he says it's been so tough. And he, he says, I feel like I'm always kind of hitting my head against a brick wall. But he said, as I've been leaving, I've been, they gave me, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a, a, a month of saying goodbye. He says, over that month, he says, person after person has come up to him and said, it's been so good to have you as part of this team. And I want to tell you this, your rela- relationship with Jesus has changed how I think about God. And he says, person after person kept on coming to him and saying something, some version of just that. And he says, for 16 years, I I thought maybe I was making no difference at all, that it was an exercise in futility, that that I had no no impact. And here here people are grieving his absence because to, to them he's been a light giver and a hope bringer. I think of, when I think of what God can do, I think of um, nations in the world who years ago we would have said, there's no way God could ever reach that people. And then we find out that God wakes people up with dreams and they're having encounters with Jesus. In countries where you can't go and share their faith, Jesus is waking them up with dreams and encountering them and they're coming to faith. I think of a nation where two of our missionaries are serving in where, where years ago there was not a Christian in the country and how there's now a movement of people who are turning to faith. Just in these last few years, they're seeing fruit and seeing life and hope where, where we would look at a people group like that and say, no way. 
Folks, who in your life is, is your Nineveh? Who in your life is your no way? No way, God, you couldn't reach them. You couldn't break through to them. Who, who has God been calling to you? Is it a friend? Is it a family member? Is it a people group? <laughs> is it a neighborhood? I want to ask you that. Will we go as Jonah went? Will we go? Will we start to pray and not give up? And I want to tell you, I haven't given up praying for my brother. And I believe the day's coming where his eyes are going to be opened and he's going to believe and he's going to know and God's going to transform his life. Will we start to, to maybe rebuild a relationship? Will we start a relationship in inviting a person into our lives and into our, our community? Will we start to make that, that situation or person that seem out of our reach a priority for us to both love on and to pray for? Will we do that? This is not about having an agenda. It's not about forcing conversations with people. If you listen to God, if you listen to him, He'll give you a message when you get there, but will you go? The God of anything's possible is waiting for you to join him. And the things you'll see, if you join God in his, his mission to reach Nineveh will make your faith so much deeper and stronger than it ever would be if you just stayed back on that beach, saved, but just sitting there. The real, I believe the real Jonah adventure is just waiting for us folks. If only we'll go. Would you bow your head and, and pray with me and, and team, would you come on up? Oh God, Jesus. I think of the uh, countless no way situations that you've broken into and you've said again with almost a laughter uh, that <laughs> watch me. See what I can do. I'm a big God. And Jesus, you said as the Father sent you, you're sending us. You're calling us to go. You're calling us to be agents of your love and compassion. You're calling us to be proclaimers of your message. We're to be the good news and to, to share the good news. Give us courage to go. Give us courage to obey. Help us to, to follow your lead even when your call is leading us to what seems like a, an impossible situation or an unreachable person. Help us to trust you. And Lord, we want to go in your name and in your strength and your power. And may we go for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Why don't we stand together? And uh, the story of Jonah really points us to Jesus, you know, Jesus who can reach the unreachable and touch the untouchable and, and, and love the unlovable. If he can save Nineveh, he can save those in our lives, he can... He can bring the gospel, we can bring the gospel in his name and see fruit in our city. Wouldn't that be awesome? That'd be good. Please, why don't I give you this uh, just final word before we send you off. Know this, that the God who calls you to go to your own Nineveh 
he doesn't send you alone. He goes ahead of you, he goes with you. He gives you power and grace to love and to pray and to speak and know that he is the God who is up to impossible things because he's always doing something great. May God get all the glory. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.